0: If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, let me give you the rundown. Basically, it's the easiest way to make a podcast and everything you need is all in one place. And here's how it works. Anchor lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup's like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to the most popular listening platforms, including Spotify, with a single tap. Anchor is also the only place you can publish a video podcast to Spotify. Spotify. With Anchor, creators can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello everybody, this is Brian and we have a very special episode. We are doing our very first sharecast with Man About Danville and we talk history. Welcome to Uncommon History of the South podcast, where we uncover low-known facts of uncommon history. History is full of curious characters and interesting stories you'll never discover in any textbook. We uncover fun facts of historical events, interesting places, famous people, and everything in between. Hey, before we begin our podcast, have a couple of updates We're now on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, so please make sure to friend us or follow us on our social media platforms so you can stay up to date with our podcast. Also, we're sharing historical pictures and documents from Harold's personal collection on our social media pages. Some are very rare, and you will not see these anywhere else, so make sure you friend us. Also, if you have any questions about our podcast, follow the link at the bottom of our page notes. Uh, it will take you to our Anchor FM homepage where you can leave us a voice message. So if you have a question about our podcast or maybe you'd like for us to include uh, a certain topic in an upcoming episode, please let us know and we'll try to use it in the future. And as always, please leave a five-star review and share a podcast with your friends. This will help others find us so we can grow. Thank you. Now to the podcast.
1: Good morning, Danville, Kentucky. I am pleased to be joined by a couple of friends. Brian Wofford, former high, high school Classmate of mine, or you were the year ahead. I've got a uh, you, your yearbook picture. I've got it. I'll share it. I'll put it in the in the show notes <laughs> afterward. How about that? I appreciate yeah, that. Thanks. Welcome. And Harold <laughs> Edwards. Harold, thank you for being with me today. You're welcome. So, uh, I called to order this official first meeting of the Danville Boyle County Podcasters Association. As far as I know, the three of us in the room have the market cornered. Do you guys know of any other podcasts in town? I'm not locally, I don't know of. I don't know of anybody else in town. Either. No, not right now. No. Okay. Stuart Sanders is kicking around the idea. I mean, I'll just cut that
0: Fully out. we interviewed Stuart. He, he talked about doing a podcast.
1: He's too busy writing books to actually sit down and talk to anybody, though. So, yeah. anyway, <laughs> so speaking of that, you all are the podcasters, you all, the producers, you all have generated the Uncommon History of the South podcast that's available everywhere this podcast is is available on all your local podcasting apps. Tell us what it is and how you all got the idea. Well, basically, you know,
0: I've known Harold my whole life. Harold was my RA leader, uh, youth leader at church growing up when I was a kid. Um, and we happen to attend Southland Christian here in Danville now. And um, we're in a life group together. And we, as a life group, we get together and we'll go out and eat every so often. Of course, Corona is kind of... Crush that for us. But, um, and, and Harold has so many great stories about history and he was telling one of his stories at dinner and I'm like, Harold, we, I need to get a video. And matter of fact, the story was our first podcast episode, uh, John Dillinger in gravel switch. And I said, we need to get a, a recorder or something and go down and video you telling this story because there's a lot of people here that doesn't realize that John Dillinger actually lived in gravel switch for a little while. And um, so I started thinking about it, and I was like, well, you know, trying to record, I'm not that good with a camera. I said, "Why don't we just do a podcast? So I'm a visual learner, thank goodness for YouTube. <laughs> so I started re- I really agree. Yeah, So I started doing some research and uh, put it together and, and, and bought some equipment. And we, Harold and I, so we just kind of sat down and, and Harold tells stories, and, and I record them and kind of add my comments. But I think our main goal was is just to capture that oral tradition of passing stories down. Uh, I know my grandfather, you know, used to tell me stories about where we grew up and where he grew up. And and those are being lost now, I think, in this generation. It's not as common. So basically it was to help capture Harold's knowledge of histories and the stories because he knows so much more about his people, you know, historical people and events. I mean, like, say, you know, the Civil War, he knows more than Army A lined up on one side, Army B lined up on another, and this is where they fought. He can tell you about the individual's. Um, that fought in those battles, and that's always been fascinating to me, and that's why I wanted to do it. But
2: mm-hmm. well, I, I had to be honest; I didn't even know what a podcast was. <laughs> I'm kind of old school, you know, <laughs> so he had to explain to me what a podcast was, and I said, "Well, I don't, I don't have to be seen, so that probably is a bit is is, is a positive, but uh, yeah, it, it's in my mind when Brian and I sit down and discuss this. I said, I just all these stories I have in my head, and I'm not a writer. I wish I was, but I'm not, and I'm not going to be. It's just not going to happen at my age. So I I said, this is a great way to preserve these stories for not only my family, but others, whoever's interested, you know. And uh, that was my main motivation. And then we just kind of go from there. And it's it's a lot of fun. We have, we have a ball doing it. And getting to bring other people in to our format is, is really neat. So we, it's been a blast, to be honest with you.
1: There's such a long history of oral tradition of history, and, and there's so much of it. and There's no way it can all be captured, uh, written down. So, you all are kind of continuing the oral tradition of, of passing history along one generation to another. I would like to point out, Brian, you in your day job. You've got a day job. You are the Boyle County jailer. That's correct. I don't know what else we want to say about that other than that's what you do on a, on a daily basis. Brian, did you, you, grew, you grew up here enough that you went to high school here. Is your family from the area? Yes. And
2: Harold, yours is too? Oh, yes. Uh-huh.
1: How, how far back do your old families go?
2: I go back to 1780s pioneer times. Okay.
0: Mine as well. And, uh, of course, actually doing a uh, genealogical search uh, doing genealogy, I actually found out Harold and I are related and we're actually kin to Abraham Lincoln, so we, we go. My family goes back that far as well. So
1: I know my family goes back here in the area to about to pre Civil War and, and earlier than that. In my on my mother's side in Fayette County. But so is, is the Civil War era your all's favorite era of history, or are there some others that capture your interest? You, you know
0: not, I I love the Civil War I love uh, you know the Revolutionary War uh, World War II I, I just like history in general in general and I love old buildings I love going to like places that's you know that may nobody's may have lived there for fifty years but there's a lot of history to it I, you know I just always been fascinated by it even when I was little
2: well I think I've often thought of historians are seekers of the truth. I think what motivates me is when you start doing research, it don't matter what it is, if it's on your own family or some story you've heard about, most of our urban legend stories, they have a basis of fact. Now, they can be exaggerated and they can be misplaced in time, but most of them that I have researched do have some basis of fact. I mean, things happened. And uh, I think when you get into that, you start researching, it's like a mystery you're trying to solve. And when you find out the truth and find out really what happened, as much as you can know the truth, sometimes truth can be very elusive. But when you get into it, you realize that it always has a, seems like to have as a practical explanation. But we just don't know what that is. We're not in that time frame. We're not in that situation. So um, I think historians are seekers of the truth. We like to know what really happened, really. That's the best explanation I can give of what motivates me to do this.
1: You said one of your most popular episodes was regarding John Dillinger, and he used to live in the gravel switch area, that kind of nebulous area between Boyle County and Marion County. Has there always been a history of trouble Coming up from Marion County into Perryville, especially post Civil War?
2: Well, I think you'll find that there's, quote, trouble everywhere. It just depends on what particular time frame you're looking at. If you look at the events right after the Civil War and during the end of 1864 and five, the last two years of the war, the guerrilla warfare in Kentucky, which we'll probably be doing a podcast on shortly, uh, it was just uh, out of control. You know, and there were, uh, I, I've, I've got like 63 people that were killed just in the central Kentucky region by one guerrilla group. So it depends on the time frame. Um, that that area of Marion County uh, wasn't really known for uh, bootlegging like the western end of Marion County. But John Dillinger came there because it was in the middle of, quote, nowhere. He could hide out there and be be uh, in a place that nobody could find him very easily.
1: It, it still kind of is.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It depends on you know how you define nowhere i, I personally love nowhere <laughs> <laughs> I, I think i'd rather be in nowhere than in the middle of a big city right now but that's I, i'm just not going to
1: argue with that either obviously both of you all are from the parable area you grew up around the parable battlefield and you've seen it expand over over the especially over the past 10 or 15 20 years what are some of your favorite stories concerning the history of parable
2: well uh i'm a member of the battlefield commission which has been appointed by uh It's just the third governor. Um, This is a commission that we kind of help oversee the park and advise in the way things should be done, uh, preserve, preservation. Uh, The American Battlefield Trust is responsible for most of the land that has been added to the park in the last few years. It's up to about 1,400 acres now. About 750 of it is in natural habitat. And if people haven't visited the park and walked those trails, you really need to. Um, it's really a really beautiful place. This year we had our first nesting pair of bald eagles and so we we're real excited about that. We've got some really uh, rare owls, uh, northern owls that are, are frequenting there now and made that their home which we didn't have before. And the quail habitat, the deer, everything has just exploded.
1: It's a beautiful place down there, and and it's almost taken for granted that we have such a, a, a beautiful and historic site right here in our own backyard. I mentioned the John Dillinger episode. What are some other episodes that you've done that were popular or that you all were really, really proud of? Well, I think
0: Frank and Jesse James. I don't think a lot of people realize that they travel through this area. You know, Morgan, just down the road in Moreland, uh, one of Frank and Jesse James's brother-in-laws actually killed a man and took his horse. Um, I mean, there's a lot of history that's happened or occurred in central Kentucky that people are not aware of. You know, you don't learn it in school. It's not in the textbooks. But that's a good one. Of course, we uh, interviewed actor Steve Zahn. Uh, I think it was our two podcasts ago. Uh, of course he's, he's not native to Kentucky, but he is, when he came to Kentucky, he fell in love with it. So he kind of, and he's also a history buff. So he shared, you know, his love of history in Kentucky. I mean, he, he loves Kentucky. He wouldn't, he could, he could live anywhere he wants to live, but he, you know, chooses to remain in Kentucky.
2: He and I have become friends and, uh, he's come to the house and he'll sit for hours <laughs> and get me to tell these stories. And it really surprised me, um, uh, one of the things that he talked about was the oral tradition. You know, it's unique to have a place that people sit and reflect and talk about the past. And it really surprised me because I never thought of that. I thought everybody did that. So he's a he's a very talented man, but he has a very keen interest in Perryville. And he's going to be, he already has helped us a lot. He's going to be helping a lot more. He's just uh, has a passion for it. He said his favorite place in the world was to sit on the porch of the bottom house. And like I said, here's a guy that could probably live anywhere or go anywhere, but he just likes the that atmosphere, the down-home feel to that place, and the history that he experiences when he's there.
0: And hopefully he's going to actually sit in and kind of guest co-host uh, a couple episodes for us as well. So
1: The celebrity co-host? Yeah. That's taking everything next level. It that's, is. That's- I'm going to have to get myself an Ed McMahon or something if I'm going to keep up.
0: Since this is kind of a sharecast, do you mind if I ask you a couple yeah. of questions? Lay it on me. What type of podcast do you listen to? I know you listen to Uncommon History of the South, of course. I mean, we we listen to Man About Danville, so.
1: I, I'll, I'll give a give sh- I told Harold before you got here, I, this whole thing kind of started when I made a Facebook post that I was going to start a podcast. And I had a bunch of people say, oh, you should do it and I'll be I'll be a guest. And I've, I've been fortunate that a lot of people have. Uh, a friend of mine in Atlanta, Paul Olinger has a podcast called Crazy Money, and he has had an interesting career, and it's on the psychology and the philosophy of money and how it relates to happiness or unhappiness. And he, 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 it's a really intelligent, sensitive analysis of economics, both personally and, and on a bigger platform, and he interviews people that write books and things like that. Everybody listens to KSR, don't they? Oh, yeah. yeah. You can't avoid Kentucky sports radio. And uh, I listen to Tim Ferriss frequently. I think he usually has a lot of smart, sharp ideas. H- I, Harold, I don't know where to begin with you.
2: It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> my wife's.
1: <laughs> 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 have you been interested in history since you were a kid?
2: I can't, yeah, I can't remember when did, I was.
1: Did you have a grandparent or anything yeah, that it see meant that? something to
2: There you go, see, especially in the winter when you were, Bored uh,
1: <laughs> when when there's no TV,
2: hardly when there's no, no, no internet. Yeah. When
1: you have multiple generations of a family that live close together, right? You would go sit on the front porch and tell stories. And yep. as our society spreads out and people don't live as close to their parents or their grandparents or their cousins, you lose some of that. So you had a, a grandparent that
2: yeah, Papa. Uh, he he was born in 1880, died in uh, 1985, and he he influenced me, I guess, as much as anybody as far as storytelling because I used to sit for hours and listen to him. Of course, you know, older people, they forget. He would tell it over and over, and I'm probably doing the same thing now. <laughs> and so, ne-
1: ne- never, wanted to let the wa- never wanted to let the truth
2: get in the way of a good story. That's right. It, so anyway, I would sit and listen to him, and he was a country preacher's son, meaner than snake, you know. I mean, he was, just, he was just a character. See, when he died, an era passed with me, a guy that cut his own firewood with an ax, not a chainsaw, never owned one in his life. You know, here's a guy that grew grape harbors and made wine he grew, as, you know, pretty much self-sufficient type guy. He would he would hickory bottom chairs, you know. Who would take the time and who who would care to put hickory splits in the bottom of a chair? But he did, you know. He handmade all of his axe handles and hammer handles and things. He never wasted anything, you know. there's a there was a self-dependence and efficiency of these people that I really admired, and it's get it's totally lost today. I will give an example. I talked about him, hickory bottom and chairs. He would go back in the in the knobs and I'd go with him and he took a draw knife and an axe and a hatchet and he would take that draw knife and he would start at the top as far as he could reach and he would strip the bark off of a tree all the way around it and he would tie it up in a bundle and then he'd cut the tree down and chop it up into sections axe length handle lengths and he would bring that home and then he would make axe handle out of that tree and use the bark to bottom chairs. He would soak it, and, you know, I've seen him do this process. And I'm like, you know, even back then I thought, man, that's an awful lot of trouble, <laughs> a lot of work. But, you know, he, he hewed out rock and laid his own cellar and, you know, just, you know, just hard work. And who would do that today?
1: In our consumer-driven culture, so much of that is just gone and probably never coming back.
0: You know, when something breaks, throw it away, yeah, buy a new one. Yeah, it's, but, it's
1: cheaper to do that.
2: And But, you know, he always seemed content.
1: Right. Oh, I, I was fortunate enough that when I was young, my great-grandmother was still living, and she lived through the Great Depression, never threw away a butter container, never threw away a rubber band, and, and now I'm raising teenagers, and it's it, it, the world has changed. I'd like to know how many meals
0: my grandmother sent back to college with me in butter containers. Here, you know, because Sunday dinner was the big thing. And so when we'd come in we'd meet for Sunday dinner, she would always load up the butter containers, and everything, send back with me to college so I'd have something to eat. So
1: before you were the jailer, you were in law enforcement. Correct. Did you work undercover any?
0: I did. Um, I actually of course I spent six years in the Marine Corps. Uh, it was a military police did I you
1: think, go, did you go straight out of high school or uh,
0: no I actually went to college okay. for, for about a year and a half and decided I need to go to the Marine Corps for a little while <laughs> so uh, after the Marine Corps uh, off, after active duty I went back to Eastern and started and stayed in the reserves after the Marine Corps the college didn't seem so difficult exactly I think I'd I made the right choice so I actually stayed in the reserves and uh, was an MP and, and of course after college, I uh, went into sales for a couple of years and decided I wanted to go back into law enforcement. And uh, so Lexington was hired and I applied for Lexington Police Department, was hired. And I spent about five and a half years there and then uh, had the opportunity to move back home to work at the sheriff's department. And then while I was there, they actually wanted me to come over and do narcotics work because I'd, I'd started that career path in Lexington and uh, ended up working uh, a little over two and a half years I spent with uh, DEA at Lexington. Um, and then after that contract was up, uh, basically I'd have to drive to Lexington every morning and then drive to Eastern Kentucky. So I'd get home at three o'clock in the morning a lot of times. And that was a little rough on family life and, and having a, a young daughter. So after that contract was up, I didn't renew it. And I came back with the sheriff's department and then the state police said, hey, we need somebody to do what you've been doing for, for the DEA for us in, in your area. So uh, Marty Ellett was a sheriff, and we talked about it. And um, so I actually spent about three and a half years working with Desi East.
1: Were you for the sheriff's department? Or?
0: I, I, I was duly sworn. So okay. my, my employer doing both of those was the sheriff's department, but I was a TFO, which is a, a task force officer
1: for, for the DEA uh, the and state police. You, you got any historically related stories you want to share of your times (laughs) and probably not (laughs) well we'll we'll tell those after the mics get turned and harold you you were a businessman a salesperson here in town for years and you're retired now yes so you're just podcasting (laughs) full-time
2: among other things
1: working on a car Well, well well among other among what other things
2: well you know i i guess for the last oh gee 30 years i i do civil war shows and um I deal in Civil War stuff, and so that's been part of my life for a long time. I also uh, have been restoring a Model A and a Model T, which is, <laughs> is just about driving me crazy. <laughs> to <but laughs> it's it's not that it's uh, it's so technical, but daggone, it's just a learning curve. I haven't got around yet. You uh, know,
1: is, uh, is this your first attempt at restoring
2: vehicles? Or? Yeah, it's been going on for about four or five years now. So I'm not a mechanic. You know, I never, never. Liked working on cars, but I love old stuff. So, yeah, I'm keeping busy, that's for sure.
1: So do you kind of trade in in Civil War paraphernalia?
2: Yeah, it's been kind of a sideline business for for me uh, for a long time. I'm kind of a specialist in Kentucky rifles, and I've studied that most of my life. I don't know why. I've always just been interested in that stuff. Uh, My grandfather gave me a gun barrel when I was a little kid. And he had it wired to a piece of stock. <laughs> it's just a, it's just a piece of junk, basically. But it was the, it, it really captured my imagination, and I guess that's what got me started. I don't know. I, I don't really remember when I wasn't interested in it. I'll tell you a little story. I was at um, when I was about ten or twelve years old. I was at a, at a, I think it was a pawn shop on Main Street in Danville, and uh, I believe maybe it was Fox and Crow was there then. I can't remember the name of it, and. The first muzzle loading rifle that I ever bought, I bought it there, and it was like fifty dollars or something. Just an old half stock rifle. Really wasn't that great a thing, but it was to me. And I'd save my money, and I went in and bought it. And I was on my way out. There was a guy sitting by the door whittling, and he stopped my dad because my dad worked for the post office and delivered his mail. And it was Clemens Quell. <laughs> and so <laughs> there's an episode. Yeah. So uh, Clem asked me. He said, "Are you interested in that stuff?" And I said, "Oh yeah, you know." And Of course, Daniel Boone was on television, you know, and and as hokey as it looks today, back then, it was really something, you know, I looked forward to that. So anyway, he said, he told my dad, he said, the next time it snows and you don't have school, said, bring him out to the house and leave him all day. And... I didn't have a clue. what I didn't know if I wanted to go out there or not. You know, I didn't know this guy. <laughs> so dad told me, he said, I think he's got a big collection of stuff that you might want to go. He did have a big collection of stuff. Yeah. So anyway, we went to, it wasn't a couple of days till it snowed. And sure enough, we didn't have school. And I went out there and I, was, I tell everybody, you ruined me for life, you know. But what a, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Probably one of the world's best Indian, American Indian artifact collection. Just one thing right after the other, and so that really got me going. i didn't sleep for two nights after that I really did not
1: <laughs> Miriam Kubali took my English class out to Clemens house in the eighties and and i everybody in town knew the Cowell family, and of course there Cowell's still around here and if, if people don't know that was the that's that big pretty white house on the end of maple avenue and he had quite quite just like you said quite possibly one of the largest private collections of American Indian artifacts anywhere there was a story somebody told me about Tecumseh's pipe have you ever heard that story yes you want to share it or am I going to ruin a future episode for you
2: no uh i I'd, I'd, it'd be a short story but uh he had a doctor I think it was in Oklahoma that uh, brought him that pipe I think he met this doctor at a KRA Kentucky Rifles show in uh Pennsylvania we we still go we still have it there every year and I'm a member of the KRA and Clemens was too at that time and this guy brought this pipe, and he said, you know, my granddaddy said that they took it off Tecumseh in the Battle of the Thames in the War of 1812 and said, I don't know anything about it. He said, would you take it and study it and everything? So he, he took the thing home, and it, it, it was a wood, what we call it a wood platform pipe inlaid with pewter, and it's, an, it's like an Indian sitting on a log holding a pipe. And it's, it's the neatest thing you'll ever see. It was sold at Cowan's auction. I think it brought one hundred and sixty-eight uh, thousand it, dollars, and Clint ended up getting it from the guy later. And uh, I remember sitting looking at it, and I'd never seen anything like it. It it was lined with pewter, and that way, the when you smoked it, it wouldn't burn the wood. So it was it was very skillfully made. These things are not crude.
1: Clemens passed away a number of years ago. His his wife passed later, and all these artifacts were dispersed at. Um, more than one auction and a couple different places So the collection has been dispersed all over the country now i suppose did you were you at any of those did you
2: yeah of course i was at the sale and i bought a few things uh, there but not indian most of the indian artifacts peggy had uh, formed a committee of about five people that she trusted to help her with the dispersal of that and i think it's a very smart way to do it and uh, there were some big time collectors came in and they they made bids on things i think the way it worked and uh, yeah, she did. Uh, I, I tried to help with a couple of things uh, that they had. Yeah, it, it it's a shame in a way that that collection got busted up because I have pictures of it, and I, when I tell people about it, you you just can't describe that. And when I show them those pictures, they just stand with their mouth open. It's like amazing. Yeah, I mean, uh, unbelievable.
1: I remember we were in a one of those side parlors, and it was just – you just don't expect to see that, and you don't see it anymore. But I, I'm glad that those pieces got to be – distributed to people who appreciated them, even though they're not in one personal collection anymore. And you that's know,
0: one of the things we've started doing with Harold's collection is we're, we're taking photographs and stuff and posting those on our social media pages because he has some unique pieces as well.
2: Yeah, you know, the, the photographs are things that, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words. And uh, one of the things that I did when I was real young is checked out Matthew Brady's photographic history of the Civil War. And I was always fascinated with the earliest photography, because that's the earliest true glimpse of time that you can see, and it speaks of more than I can ever explain when you study those photographs.
1: Yeah, the Civil War coincided with the dawn of, of photography, and like Camp Nelson down the road here had a camp photographer mm-hmm. there who would take the picture of the soldiers and send, so they could send something home to their loved ones.: and.
2: I think people would be totally blown away if they most people drive by that house, you know what's preserved now there which one it, there's a big house out there on the right camp nelson oh okay that, uh, it's just a very small part of that but that was a huge complex
1: uh, uh, the, the huge the complex. whole camp well, oh enormous
2: yes uh-huh. bakery wagon manufactory. they had a water system that pumped up from the kentucky river and it was just amazing the the size and scope of that place
1: do you guys want to divulge who you've got coming up anytime soon do you have any big guests any surprise guest stars coming up
2: Uh, well, we haven't, we we don't think as far down the road as you might think we do well,
1: i understand that for me this is a week-to-week operation
2: we do want to do some a really good one on daniel boone and uh, i'm going to try to get a hold of ted balloon and, and he wrote the, just the most recent book on basically daniel boone's grave you know where's the real daniel boone buried you know he just finished a really good book on that so we'll probably if we can get him we're going to have him on there we will i'll probably have asked joni house to be on there she's uh president of the Friends Group at Perryville and uh, try to educate the public a little bit about how the battlefield works, how the American Battlefield Trust buys this land and what the process is that makes the battlefield what it is today. That's that's another thing we'd like to do. And we might branch out and um, we're going to do one on the Confederate submarine, the Hunley, that was lost in Charleston Harbor. I was there when it was raised, and so I'll get to talk tell that story and Talk about that experience, and Brian, if you got any, you'd like. He,
0: you know, really, this is podcast is about Harold. I'm more of the the hype man, the flavor
1: flavor the guy, of the of the duo here yeah, on, on a side note, I met flavor flavor. Oh, it was okay. I tried to trade hats with him. He wouldn't do it. Would but anyway, it? that's another story. So, you know, this is more about
0: his stories. Um, I just kind of, I, I'm the color commentator, you know, I kind of sit and giggle when he's telling stories, which some of them are pretty funny, but you know, kind of help produce it. And basically, so it's, it's really about whatever he wants to do or whatever he wants to share.
2: The challenge we have is presenting this in an entertaining way. You know, you can bore people death with details. You know, you, you get caught up in that as a historian. You better be careful, you know, if you're doing a podcast because a lot of people don't want to hear a, a lot of detail. You know, they want to hear the—
0: They want to be entertained. See the
2: big picture, and they want to be entertained. So that's a challenge for me because I'm a detail guy, you know. I can be pretty dry and boring.
1: <laughs> well, I can see some of the listeners that you all have may, may want to drill— to, if you're if you're interested in history enough that you're going to listen to a history podcast i can see how some some folks really like to drill down deep and get the the rest of the story as certain people in radio have said when the covid thing lifts are you guys going to take the show on the road Are you going to take a field trip to Charleston? or
0: we've discussed that we've talked about doing something uh kind of doing a podcast from a location somewhere uh but we don't
1: we don't have anything planned as of yet but we're we're considering it. i i've got an idea for you i don't know whether you're looking for ideas or not but between firearms and local history, George Chin, from over in Mercer County, are you? Have you?
2: Oh, I knew him well.
1: Oh, did you know him personally? Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I didn't. I read the book. What was he like?
2: Well, I, I see the my problem was I got George when he was really late in life, and he would starting to lose his faculties when I really got to be around him a lot. But he was a wealth of knowledge, obviously. Oh, you know. he he must have been. He and of course he had a lot to do with uh, writing the book through two hundred years history of harrodsburg and he was a arms historian you know he come from a very historic family for that matter uh matter of fact frank james by the way uh, we talked about the james brothers frank was uh with his uncle there's a picture of him when he was campaigning for i can't remember who he was campaigning for somebody running for president or something but frank james was great friends with the chin family and he helped start horse races and <laughs> he, uh, he you know but the chin family is a very historic family and i I've uh, known him and his daughter, you know, through the Harrisburg Historical Society. But yeah, he was a tremendous wealth of information. He and I shared a similar interest in Benjamin Mills, the gunmaker. We just did to finish the podcast on. So
1: the guy who lived in Harrisburg moved to Lexington.
2: Yes, uh-huh, yeah.
0: You know, the two podcasts I think I'm looking forward to. One would be Daniel Boone, because probably ninety nine point. Eight percent of what I know about Daniel Boone is probably not accurate, <laughs> just because of the TVs and the movies and everything and what's in popular culture. And, and the other one would be Uncle Top's Cabin, because it's actually based on a family in Garrett County.
1: I knew it was based on a Kentucky family. I didn't realize it was in Garrett County.
2: Yeah, um, I won't go into a whole lot of detail, but there's a, uh, there's a book called uh, The uh, Life of Lewis Clark, amongst the so-called Christians of Kentucky. <laughs> it's, a, it's a rare book I have it, and, and I've read it a couple times. And he was the main, one of the main characters in the book. And uh, he met with Harriet Beecher Stowe. He escaped Kentucky and got up into the north, and it's a long story, but anyway, he ended up meeting her. And that's why she came to Garrett County to visit the site of the Thomas Kennedy Plantation, which was Uncle Tom's cabin was supposedly there. Hmm. So uh, we have some good pictures of that house. It's long gone, and and the cabin's behind it. So, the, yeah, that's an interesting story, and uh, it is a novel. Now, you know, she didn't write a historic, you know, it's, this is a product of her imagination and life experiences, but she wrote another book, and a lot of people don't know about that, called The Key to Uncle Tom's Cabin, which she divulges a lot of these places that she visited and people, characters that she used. So it's a fascinating story.
1: Speaking of books... What about? Have you read Iron Baby Angel? No. That's full disclosure. I haven't read it either. But it was written, I think, around this, maybe in the maybe the nineteen twenties or thirties. It was it was about it was written by somebody from Danville about Danville, and he changed all the names. and It was scandalous and salacious when it came out. So,
2: have you ever heard of the poet, the drunken poet of Danville, Thomas Johnson Jr.? No.
0: <laughs> he. We need to do a podcast about him.
2: You might have to bleep some of it. I mean, it was, <laughs> this guy was a—he's called the Drunken Poet of Danville. He—he he was here in the late 1700s. Okay, and he—and he's absolutely hilarious. And he's a genius. He's did, a genius. He, he
1: had published books of poetry.
2: Yes, and this was when Cannon was actually Mercer County right. then. Okay, so and he—he he just rails on the po- politicians and the preachers. <laughs> it's amazing. And uh but he uses poetry. He uses poetry as his format. It's amazing.
0: Some of his works and some of the poetry he, he you know, he wrote is just astounding.
2: Never I, heard of him. It, yeah, well, no, see, most people haven't, and he's one. It's one of the first published poetical works in Kentucky. I believe the first, hmm. and it was republished many times. <laughs> and uh, it's it's a lot. Nobody. I, I don't know if anybody has an original first edition, but I had a copy through the University of Kentucky that was like an eighteen twenty one edition, which had been probably published three or four times. But it's, it's, he's a hoot now. You
0: know, this has occurred when the tavern on 2nd Street...
2: Gills Tavern. Yeah, you know, he takes up a poem about going there and getting there late and there's no food left. <laughs> he asked the Lord to bless these empty dishes. And,
1: it's, <laughs> and that was a hotbed of political discussion too, wasn't it, that tavern?
2: Yeah, it was. It, of course, you know, then we go and do do some stories about Old Danville. You talk about the the political club at Danville, you know, the Anaconda Club. and But I, what I would like to do a podcast about is the... Uh, the the football team at Center College beat Harvard. Was George Chin on that team? I don't think so. There was um, I'm trying to think of his name that lived in Danville because uh, I talked to him. Oh gee, I'm not prepared to. Th- I bet we can look it up. <laughs> yeah, there was there was one guy that was stayed here in Danville that was on that team. Norris Armstrong was on that team, and um, but I'd really like. F- you know that was one of the f- first football teams in the South was Center College. I'd love to see a Center Harvard game today. You know, and people dress at that period and and uh, you know have some old cars of that era and, and and just try to relive that. But I don't think Harvard will play us today. <laughs> well,
1: and and you know the Texas A and M twelfth man that that came from a game they played when Center went down there and was beating them up and down the the, the, the field. So. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Center would love Center would love to have you do an episode on their football team, the C Six. You H-O know, maybe team. that
0: would be something we could do another Sharecast. We could do it at Center.
2: I think Larry Vault is really the guy we need to get involved with that because he really knows that that story really well, really well.
1: Trying to think who else would have. I'd say Nelson Rhodes. He was about as big a Center fan as ever was, but that that would be. That, that would be a great episode to do and and people don't understand what a what a media event that game was, and it was hyped up it was as big as any national championship we have now, but they probably didn't have the television rights weren't as weren't as lucrative back then but
2: <laughs> well right. you know I would like to say this Brian's one of the finest young men I know, and uh, I'm so proud of him, and uh, I would never say no to Brian Woert and uh, he's just a, he's a, he's one of the people just don't know what a great guy he is, and I do because I've known him all of his life. So uh, I'm very proud of him.
1: Well, you, you guys make a great team. And I know, Brian, you're doing things at the jail trying to not just incarcerate people, but to help people get going in the right direction. And, and oh, You know, that's that's the great thing about my job,
0: uh, being the jailer, is I get to meet people at their lowest and, and um, offer my hand up. And that's not just me. That's my entire staff. I mean, that's our philosophy. As a side note,
1: how are things out
0: there? Our numbers are starting to go back up. Are they? and uh which we we knew it would you know the big thing right now is still trying to keep covet out yeah because uh the way our building is designed and built and set up if it gets in we everybody has it you know and i don't know what we'll do if i don't have staff that can come if they're sick and you can't come to work
1: what do we do uh, is the overcrowding as bad as it has been and we're, we're
0: actually down today we're at 168 we have 220 beds of course we hit a little over 400 before pre-COVID back. And, and we were staying right before COVID, we were staying around 280, 285. It, it's starting to creep back up. And, and a lot of people that were released due to COVID, you know, they're not showing up and the judges are giving them third and fourth chances to come to court and they're not showing up or they're not going, you know, uh, going to treatment and different things. So that's why I'm a big proponent on having those things on the inside of the jail, treatment, mental health, because they're there and, and they're sober. I think we'll be more successful if we focused on providing those services inside the jail versus letting them go on the outside.
1: Now and I, I know for so many people, this lockdown and the anxiety and the stress that go along with it are triggers for for the substance abuse. Anything else we want to talk about? I'm good. I want to thank
0: thank you for the opportunity. Yes, thank, thank you. Thank you, you, you know, so much. We've enjoyed it.
1: Harold you know, Edwards, you're a great uh, interviewer. Harold Edwards, Brian Wofford. thank you guys
0: for being with me today. That's all I got. Thank you for being part of Uncommon History of the South podcast. And thank you to Logan Gurman, Man About Damble. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Uncommon History of the South.